0: In this world of being Instagram ready all the time, having that perfectly sculpted body, flawless skin, somewhere what we're ignoring is mental health. And in today's episode of my podcast, Mind Your Fitness, I'll be talking to you about mental health and nutrition related to it. Hi, I'm Shweta Bhatia, I'm a registered dietitian and welcome to my podcast, Mind Your Fitness. So what is mental health? Going by the official definition, Mental health is a state of mental well being that enables people to cope with the stresses of life, realize their abilities, learn well, work well, and contribute to their community. It's an integral component of health and well being that underpins our individual and collective abilities to make decisions, build relationships, and shape the world we live in. Mental health is more than the absence of mental disorders, it includes mental disorders and psychosocial disabilities, as well as other mental states associated with significant distress, impairment in functioning, or risk of self-harm. People with mental health conditions are more likely to experience lower levels of mental well-being, but this is not always the case. Let's look at some of the determinants of mental health. Individual, psychological, environmental, and biological factors, such as emotional skills, Social determinants, substance use, and genetics can make people more vulnerable to mental health problems. Exposure to unfavourable circumstances from childhood increases people's risk of experiencing mental health conditions. Now that we understand that mental well-being and mental disorders can be two separate issues, let's look at the role of nutrients and how they affect our mental states. Coming to mental disorders and nutrients, at the physical level, mental disorders are impairments in the functioning of key areas in the brain, which is also an organ. To name a few, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, eating disorders, anxiety disorders are the commonly known mental disorders. These states can affect the way we eat and our metabolism. Medical treatment in some cases can additionally cause weight gain. There is increasing evidence regarding the crucial role that diet plays in brain health, particularly in the areas of depression and dementia. Key beneficial nutrients include omega-3 fatty acids, magnesium, calcium, probiotics and vitamins B1, folic acid, B12, D and E. One of the risks, at least with the vegan diet and to some extent the vegetarian diet, is the lack of vitamin B12, which is crucial for nerve cells or as we call them, neurons. The possible mechanisms by which these nutrients may boost brain function include neuronal membrane stabilization and anti-inflammatory effects. Studies have explored intermittent fasting to help control bipolar disorder. The low-carb and intermittent fasting combination can increase the production of ketones, which are a cleaner fuel source for the brain. Mustard green spinach, bell peppers and all other plant foods contain phytonutrients. Research shows that signalling molecules, which include lycopene and carotenoids, help protect the brain. Other foods include fish, shellfish, eggs, nuts and dairy. The gut bacteria play a role in psychiatric illnesses and regulation with probiotic supplements are emerging for treatment, especially for depression. Now, people with depression often have a higher tendency to gain weight. So, fat loss is one of the primary targets in its management. Speaking of food addiction, now, food addiction is on its way to becoming a clinical entity in its own right. Currently, it lacks validated treatment protocols and recognition as a clinical diagnosis. But high time, it gets clinical recognition and a more formalized management protocol. The American Psychiatric Association does not recognize food addiction as an eating disorder or substance abuse disorder. But their DSM, that is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders criteria, were used as a basis for the creation of the Yale Food Addiction Scale. DSM is the handbook used by healthcare professionals in the United States and much of the world as the authoritative guide to the diagnosis of mental disorders it enlists the criteria that should be met for diagnosing each of these mental health conditions. The Yale Food Addiction Scale is a validated measurement tool that identifies eating patterns that are similar to behaviours seen in classic areas of addiction. Studies have shown how highly processed and high-carb foods meet the same criteria as tobacco for addiction, highlighting their addictive potential. High-carb, high-fat foods deliver a dopamine high, which is a part of the reward system. This starts the craving, which makes people keep looking for the next sugar hit. Now, let's talk about anxiety more in depth. See, poor nutrition during pregnancy and during a child's developing years can lead to higher anxiety levels during adulthood. Additionally, you must ensure a healthy eating environment for your children. Remember, parents are role models. Some foods that help or make anxiety worse are number one sugar. Now, people with mood disorders often have poor-quality diets that are high in sugar and carbs. Stress may be one of our favourite excuses to treat with food, especially those that are carb-heavy or as we call them, comfort foods. Sugar seems to have addictive properties and can cause anxiety when withdrawn, just as other addictive substances can cause withdrawal symptoms when withheld. Overall, eliminating the high-processed sugary foods seems to be beneficial in treating anxiety too. The second one is gluten. Now, studies show that people with celiac disease often have higher anxiety levels. Some people who do not test positive for celiac disease but are sensitive to gluten can also experience symptoms such as foggy mind, depression, ADHD-like behaviour when they consume gluten. So, removing gluten from the diet has shown to resolve these anxiety issues. Third one is choline, which is like a vitamin. Those with low choline consumption seem to have about a 33% higher risk of having anxiety disorder. Choline is primarily found in eggs, meats, beans, cruciferous vegetables like cauliflower, cabbage, and in peanuts. Next is fermented foods. Now, a very interesting trial has shown that people who have more fermented foods reported less social anxiety. Increasing the good gut bacteria seem to influence anxiety as well. Now, these foods can alter some of the circuitry by which we process our emotions. The next one is omega-3. Now, another nutrient that always stands out when it's about food and anxiety are the essential omega-3 fatty acids. Studies done on medical students show a 20% lower level of anxiety when they took omega-3 supplements during their exams. It's not only the components of the diet that affect anxiety. The frequency and regularity of feeding also affect circulating hormones and impact our behavior. Now, there are a number of mediators and hormones and neurotransmitters that are affected by the diet and therefore they affect our anxiety levels. They are cortisol, insulin, leptin, acetylcholine, serotonin, opioids and dopamine. High-fat diets reduce anxiety levels by altering insulin and acetylcholine levels, while diets high in carbs have more anxiety-causing characteristics. Now, let's speak about obesity and mental well-being. Pardon me for saying it like it is, but if you are an adult and have allowed yourself to become or remain fat, it is self-sabotage right there, in capital letters. It involves some level of mental dysfunction, either as a diagnosed mental disorder or an altered emotional state, which could be temporary. Now, I know a lot of people who went from losing 50 kgs to regaining 60. See, weight regain is going to happen invariably and your mental state plays a huge role in fanning it. In turn, the obese state can also trigger mental disorders and make their management worse. Now, whatever may have been the trigger for you to gain fat, falling down is not in our hands sometimes but choosing to stay there definitely is. We do know obesity is multifactorial, but finally, it's an imbalance in the way nutrients are ingested and utilised. Let's look at obesity first at the gut-brain access level, one that is beyond our willpower. Now, studies show that obese individuals may have defective satiety signalling in their brains. That means they do not register when they are full. Leptin and ghrelin are the satiety and hunger hormones. There could be a receptor defect of the hunger hormone ghrelin, leading to increased food intake and obesity. And it can also cause leptin resistance, which further drives and maintains obesity led by decreased satiety or fullness. Genetics also play a role. Genes can regulate your hunger, your satiety signals, how your fat cells grow and store fat, how many calories you burn at rest and after eating food. We are quick to blame overeating and weakness of character or a lack of willpower but not on biological mechanisms like hormone actions, defective satiety signals and genetics of obese individuals. Now, medical conditions and medications can also be counted as potential triggers. Antidepressants and antipsychotic medications can make you hungrier. Now, these are the non-modifiable factors. Coming to modifiable factors, now once you're conscious of the fat gain, it's time to move. Gather the required information and resources to change that state of being. Hire professional guidance for your diet and exercise plan and to manage your mental well-being through the process. The journey is never linear. You need help to see the other side. And that help will be required time and again. Obese individuals can lack motivation due to disturbed mental and emotional states. But supportive family and friends can really be of help in such cases. And guys, please stop poking fun at people who want to stick to their diet or avoid alcohol at events. You don't know how many battles they've fought to exercise that control. Obesity is a chronic and relapsing disease. Its management requires a multidisciplinary team of qualified doctors, dietitians, certified exercise professionals and psychologists. A team... That can analyze what's happening at the physical and mental level and devise a plan accordingly is required. That's all for today. And before we wrap up, here are my top tips that I follow for a sane mental health. Number one, I exercise regularly. Number two, I meditate daily without fail. Three, I listen to music to regulate my mood. Four, I ensure I sleep well, so no gadgets one and a half hours before bedtime. And five, I watch something funny and use laughter as a means to beat my stress. If you want to reach out to me, you can DM me on my Insta handle, Shweta_Bhatia. You can get this podcast on Apple, Binge Paul, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast from. We come up with a fresh episode every Wednesday.